0: Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. Today we are discussing AEW Double or Nothing 2020, which took place May 23rd, 2020 at Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, with a technical attendance of zero, but there were AEW wrestlers in the crowd. I am Tavi, joined as always by...
1: Me, Olivia.
0: Yes, and as I said, we're here talking Double or Nothing 2020. Now, before we get into the review and the news that we have... Uh, I do want to say there were wrestlers in the crowd, um, people who weren't used on the show, people who were used on AEW, Dynamite Dark, or whatever it's called, and I thought maybe I should count them as appearances, but then I realized I haven't done it for NXT, I haven't done it for any other AEW show, and it would get really confusing to try and find each wrestler in the crowd, so while there were people like Vicky Guerrero and Big Swole and Billy Gunn in the crowd, they're not part of the show really, even though Big Swole tried her hardest to make herself part of the show. So, none of these people count, unless you are part of the show, and you are not part of the show, if that makes sense. But Olivia, as always, you've got some news for us, correct?
1: Absolutely. So, we got a couple pieces of AEW news, um, both technically coming from the previous Revolution pay-per-view that we... Uh, just recorded last week. Last right? nice week, okay, yeah. Perfect. So the first story is uh, that Kenny Omega is apparently embarrassed of the finale to AEW Revolution 2021. So since AEW Revolution took place, it has been reported that AEW has removed all content from the recent pay per view from Twitter and is blocked sharing content of specifically the main event with D DMCA strikes, which is technically just like a copyright strike. Um, in addition, it is reported that Kenny Omega is embarrassed of the lackluster exploding ring that occurred at the end of the main event. However, this is a report coming from the Wrestling Observer, and no actual comment of Omega's has been documented. Um, I mean, Tommy and I were pretty critical of this lackluster we, we the uh, only ones. ending, and apparently, we weren't the only ones. So, I mean, it just kind of makes me feel good. I mean, it's not so great that like the ending kind of sucked, but uh, I mean, it, it was a good match regardless. However. Uh, I agree with like the fans that are talking about this that it sucks that that's what's gonna be remembered about this match rather than these two absolutely tearing the house down yeah. before, before that.
0: Yeah, it was. It's it's kind of a shame. Um, they try to spin it in a positive light on Dynamite, like Eddie Kingston and John Moxley had a drink over it and he was like thanks for coming out and saving me buddy and he was like why did you sell it so hard and Eddie Kingston was like it reminded me of being in prison and like all these loud and like being parts of gang so like I just blacked out because of it and I was like it's actually pretty creative. Okay, yeah. So, because Kingston on it. sold out as if he got shot. Yeah. And all it was it was like sparklers. Yeah. So at least they made it kind of make okay, sense. Yeah. At least um, the,
1: they're not like uh, WWE tends to, when th- those sorts of things happen, they just pretend like it doesn't happen. So yeah. So it's like nice that they could sort of addressed
0: yeah, it. Yeah. Best. And honestly, that's a legit reason. I mean, it could be a, a sort of form of PTSD that he had. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Eddie Kingston really had those problems. I'm assuming he might have, but. That's, that's pretty creative, so you got to give them that. Yeah. However, yeah. I totally understand Kenny Omega being upset with that happening, as well yeah. as everyone else, and now they're trying to spin it as if, well, he doesn't really know how to make explosives, so that's why I was a dud. And it's like, eh, that one doesn't work as well.
1: Well, it te- I mean, technically, like I said, this is, like, coming from, like, a report. Um, you can only no... take Dave
0: Meltzer with a grain of salt. Exactly.
1: Like um, so... Again, there's no official quote from Kenny Omega himself, so this could, you know, be all hearsay for all we know. Right. But, uh, anyways, speaking of DMCA strikes, there was a wrestling critic who received DMCA strikes on their content. So this last week, YouTube content creator Girl on Cinema took to Twitter to express her frustrations with AEW flooding her videos with DMCA, a.k.a. copyright strikes, on her videos. While there hasn't been an official report to confirm or deny these allegations, Tony Khan boldly responded to her via Twitter, indicating that her critique videos are thinly veiled illegal streamings of the productions that he, quote, budgets millions of dollars per month to produce. Tommy and I did some of our own investigating as we are familiar with YouTube critics, fair use, and subjects of the like. And while content creators are able to use video and audio as long as it is refrained in either criticism or parody, many creators have criticized large companies for flagging their videos when their content falls within these parameters. However, it is clear that the structure by the structure of her videos that the content does not fall under this fair use. Uh, she doesn't utilize short clips in the way that most content creators do, uh, but rather slows the whole stream of the entire pay-per-view um, by half speed and then just dubs her voiceovers onto the videos, which, as we know, is not allowed um, most of the time with DMCA strikes and fair use. uh, The maximum amount of time that you can use of any given clip or audio is 30 seconds, Um, which, I mean, if you watch any, you know, sort of wrestling critique, wrestling review channel on YouTube, you know that some of them uh, tend to only use, like, photos of the event. Um, However, there are some that do use clips and, you know, videos and audios of these events, and are able to use them because they do fall under this fair use. Uh, however, I just I, I disagree with this girl. I think that uh, the copyright strikes on her videos were uh, definitely necessary, just because, like I said, um, it's not her talking about them and then showing small clips of it. It's her talking over like basically the entire pay per view. Right. So, um, you know. It's basically the whole show with her audio instead of their audio. Yeah,
0: I thought this was interesting to bring to your attention because, as you mentioned, we are fans of critics on YouTube, for instance. Not just wrestling critics, but, I mean, I like film criticism. You follow H3, which are hugely important with the whole fair use thing on YouTube. So it's just something I thought was interesting for both of us. And then as we did more research... A, I found out she just absolutely hates AEW, which is totally fine. I mean, be as negative as you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. But you have to do it in the right way. Correct. However, I do think that Tony Khan was kind of being an asshole in a kind of way. Not because the copyright strikes, not because saying I put millions of dollars into this, but he was kind of talking down to her a little bit, um, which, you know, the dude's a fucking billionaire. He doesn't need to be talking down to someone who probably makes like a couple hundred bucks. But I do understand where he's coming from. And I I'm not going to say I'm like oh I'm close friends with Tony Khan, but I've lived in Champagne for a good amount of years. I've served the guy a couple times, got friendly with him. Uh he's always very nice. I just think something got on his craw a little bit and it was this girl kind of saying, "I'm going to wage war on you," even though she was probably kind of kidding. Uh
1: Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I kind of you know not to like take his side, but I I do understand like with this age of like sort of mass hysteria. And like gang bullying on the internet, that like you know, you hear one claim of something, and you know, especially when she has screenshots of it, of her videos being, you know, copyright strike, that um, it's sort of like an inflammatory story because you know, the majority of people who see that are going to sort of sensationalize it and be like, oh wow, like it looks like this is the downfall of like wrestling critique YouTube. Um, however, when you do actually do your own investigating and you find out that her videos aren't so much. Like, I just, I just have to say, like, when you are, like, a YouTube critic of literally anything, um, you know, it would be like, for example, you know, Tommy, you're super into watching, like, film critiques. That would basically be, like, a content creator instead of, you know, talking about the film, showing little clips of it, you know, with and without audio um, to basically explain why they liked it, why they didn't like it, um, instead just showing the entire film in full Um, which is totally not allowed, and then just talking over it, which is not only something that I wouldn't necessarily be interested in watching, um, but kind of makes a mockery of the people who spend so much time cutting those little clips and, you know, writing out bullet points of notes of, like, this is what I'm going to talk about, and this clip is going to go with this, and this picture is going to go with this, and, um, you know, they a lot of these channels do spend the majority of their time uh, editing all of this rather than, like, actually creating the content itself, so... Um, I think that, you know, this jab that Tony, you know, poked at her was, in my opinion, pretty well-deserved, not only because, like, it could be pretty damaging to, like, the AEW reputation and Tony himself um, for, like, these inflammatory comments, but also um, could create a much bigger problem for the YouTube community um, than it actually is, so... Uh,
0: No, I agree. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's... We were ready to take her side, uh, but i i think once we watched a couple of her stuff it's just she's really not doing it the right way right yeah, yeah. and fair exactly. use can, is super important but not when you do it the wrong way
1: absolutely no. yeah
0: all right so let's um, continue yeah
1: so let's move on to the opening questions yes, so yeah. um in light of this pay-per-view of 2020 that we're watching we're kind of going back in time again Uh, So since the beginning of this pandemic, we have been introduced to a plethora of new types of matches, uh, cinematic matches in particular. Well, it's very clear that AEW and WWE have different approaches to this type of match. They're entertaining nonetheless. So, Tommy, my question for you is, what has been your favorite cinematic match thus far in the pandemic era?
0: Okay, so uh, it's a tie. Okay. And I'm kind of burying the lead here. It is a tie between the Boneyard match from WrestleMania 37 and the Stadium Stampede which we saw tonight. Awesome. Okay. I think these are two of the most interesting and well put together uh cinematic matches. And that's not to say there haven't been, like the Firefly Funhouse was also great. It was just kind of a step below the Boneyard match. Uh I really enjoyed the uh the one we got with I guess it wasn't really a cinematic match, but I mean I thought the Inferno match between Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt was fucking hilarious. Maybe not for the best reasons, but Money in the Bank. I had a lot of fun listen, with Money in the Bank.
1: Listen, but. I have to say, the Money in the Bank cinematic match has to be my favorite. I thought and here's you would, why. But You here's were so why.
0: against watching that, too. So
1: against watching it. I was like, I'm not even going to watch the pay-per-view. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to discuss it. I am not watching this match or this <laughs> pay-per-view. And I was, like, super disappointed because, like, the Money in the Bank match and the pay-per-view in particular is, like, one of my favorite events of the year, and so you finally got me to watch it. And honestly, it is something that I could watch over and over again and see something new every single time. And just the fact that we get tech... I mean, obviously it's not real. But, like, two people get pushed off the top of the building. They got murdered. They got murdered.
0: And Barry Corbin did not go to jail. Like
1: straight up murdered. It's because right? he's a king. Yeah. So. Um, and so I said to say, that's that's, that's going to be really entertaining for me because it is both equal parts like technically wrestling match and then also just plain stupidity ridiculous. and ridiculousness. Yeah. yeah,
0: I agree. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I like Thank that. Thank you. I'm sorry that I gave away the answer for my match that I already but, <laughs> No, it's okay. Okay, so one last thing before we actually get started on this. I was actually not thinking we were going to get to this little segment that I have planned until we got to the 80s. However, with the passing of Brody Lee, this is actually and unfortunately going to be the very first edition i guess of uh the death marker uh you know or the it sounds so terrible to say but the dead wrestler list like those who have passed on so unfortunately we have one for this pay-per-view and that is of course mr Brody lee luke harper john huber who passed away right after christmas we've already talked a lot about that you can go back and listen to those episodes but it was a little strange to kind of see him on this and i've seen so many uh wrestling matches with people who have passed on and that i've realized have died, but this one kind of reminds me of Chris Benoit in a way, where it's, like, it's really strange to see you wrestle again, not because Brody Lee did anything that Chris Benoit did end up doing, but because it's, like, you should still be here, and it's- Absolutely, it's It's very- it's-
1: it's eerily ghost-like in a way, because, um, you go back and, you know, you not only think, like, wow, like, this happened, like, so recently, but then also it was just kind of, like, a really sudden kind of thing. It wasn't like, you know, he had this illustrious career- retired and then passed away um whether expectedly or unexpectedly at old age um you know this man is somebody who still had a lot of life left and uh, it's very unfortunate that uh, he passed uh you know during this time because like we've said before when we did discuss um his death on this podcast the first time that uh it honestly like this was like supposed to be kind of his moment this was supposed to be him you know in his like sort of like you know not to compare but like sort of chris jericho moment or you know john moxley moment where um they were so unappreciated for so many years in a company like wwe and you know like once you reach a certain like ascension in your career it's really hard to i guess sort of like not backtrack and go back to like the indies per se but like you know you reach the certain pinnacle of your career and you've acquired you know a home and cars and so it's really hard to like break out of um certain companies even if you're not being treated right because you have to sort of have this expectation to make a certain amount of money and so it's been nice with the rise of AW to offer you know these performers who may have not been appreciated this sort of second alternative to where they can make a similar amount and not only that but really take control of you know their creative side um of their performance and the whole entertainment aspect of it and i think that It's unfortunate that he, you know, really started to come into his own, and then unfortunately passed like shortly after that. Yeah,
0: he he appeared pretty close to red after Revolution twenty twenty. He was the exalted one from the Dark Order, which a lot of people saw coming because they knew his contract was up and whatnot. But it was still really cool to see, and he made the Dark Order a lot more interesting. It was stable, a lot more
1: legitimate. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and he became a world title contender. Three, two and a half three months after he appeared yeah uh and then he of course went on to win the tnt championship and so on and so forth but we'll get to those so again the first unfortunate person i have to put on our those who are past list is is Brody lee but on to the main show again i had to watch this on our computer so uh paper notes here uh we go to the buy-in we had uh best friends chuckie t and trent Beretta defeating private party isaiah cassidy and mark quinn and then we get to the main show. Um, it's we have this COVID style promo, which I kind of thought was uh, pretty well put together, but also, you know, they're talking about like persevering through all this time. And oh, they like, said
1: faith over fear, which faith. made me want to punch the TV so yeah, hard. Um,
0: it was a well put together promo, but it was also a little cheesy. But you know what? It was still May. We we kind of still didn't know what was going on. Um, so I'm going to let them slide on it.
1: Yeah, I'll give but, them a pass.
0: Yeah, it was beautiful that they had a little tribute for Chad Gaspard, who had passed away, I believe, like a week before this. Um, of course, saving his son from drowning. So that was very nice. Uh, a lot of guys in WWE were familiar with him, most notably Cody Rhodes, of course, uh, Chris Jericho. I, mean, I doubt John Moxley was. But there's, of course, other people that had been around when Crime Time was in was in WWE. Our first match of the night is the casino ladder match for the number one contendership for the AEW world title. There's a lot of casino matches. We've been through them before. There's been like the casino battle royals, the tag team battle royals. So basically two people start. Every two minutes a new person enters. First to climb the ladder and retrieve the casino chip gets a world title match. This is nine people in this match. Frankie Kazarian versus Scorpio Sky versus Kip Sabian. Versus Darby Allen versus Orange Cassidy versus Cole Cabana versus Joey Janela versus Luchasaurus versus Brian Cage, who was the surprise entrant. And we'll get to the match here. So oddly enough, the two members of SCU, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, are the first to enter. They go head to head for two minutes until Kip Sabian enters with Penelope Ford and Jimmy Havoc, who I totally forgot, was friends with Kip Sabian at this point. That didn't last too long because over the summer he got fired for sexual Misconduct from the whole speaking out movement. So, yeah. yep, that's why they brought in Miro, which was kind of odd to think about now. Uh, as Kip Sabian comes out, Jimmy Havoc, Havoc who, again, isn't in the match, uh, gets released German suplexed by Kazarian into a ladder, so he did great. Darby Allen enters fourth. He's a house of fire, then he throws a skateboard directly at Kazarian's face. He has a ladder wedged between the ring and the apron, climbs another ladder with his skateboard, doesn't ollie off of this ladder... Cause Aaron gets out of the way, and he literally looks like he broke his ankle. And I'm like, same, dude. That's how I busted out my knee. Not going off a ladder, but going off steps when I shouldn't have. So I'm a little bit... Uh, I kind of clutched my pearls a little bit when he did that. Uh, Orange Cassidy enters fifth. Um, Everyone's down in the ring. He goes up to the commentary team and goes, how do I win the match? Which I just thought was inspired work right there. Gets into the ring. just He looks up at the chip and just raises his arms up as if he's somehow going to be able to grab it. Then he grabs a ladder and he just places it supine and stands on top of it and then raises his hands up again to try and get the chip. Very funny stuff going on here because, you know, Orange Cassidy is great. He's too lazy to set up a ladder if you're not getting the whole point of this. So, not you, of course, babe, but everyone listening. Uh, Cole Cabana enters sixth. He drops Orange Cassidy out of the ring. Joey uh, Janela enters seventh, followed by Luchasaurus eighth, who power bombs Sabian over the ropes onto a bunch of guys and then chokeslams Kazarian into a ladder. Brian Cage, like I said, the surprise enter- entrant, enters with Taz by his side. He lays waste everybody in the ring. Penelope Report attempts to stop Orange Cassidy from climbing the ladder. He finally learned how to do it, apparently. But she gets tossed off by him right into Kip Sabian. Luchasaurus then uh, goes to Chokeslam Orange Cassidy. He kind of reversals out of it and then humorously goes to Chokeslam Luchasaurus, which, of course, he's not going to be able to do. Marco Stutt makes an appearance, has the tiniest ladder I've ever seen in my life, and he assists Luchasaurus in a chokeslam of Orange Cassidy. Luchasaurus and Brian Cage then have a mini-match uh, topped off with Cage powerbombing him onto a ladder. Brian Cage then climbs the ladder, grabs the— or actually, before he climbs the ladder, he puts Darby Allen on another ladder and just deadlifts it and tosses Darby Allen on top of this ladder out of the ring, just murdering this little man. And then Brian Cage wins by grabbing the chip. So, Olivia, uh, you can see my grade right now, but I have to ask, what do you think of the casino ladder match?
1: So, this was, like, pretty mundane for the most part, with, like, two exceptions, of course. Um, so, I, of course, as always, like, Darby Allen's just, like, out to, like, murder himself and everybody She's else. He's
0: the goth Jeff Hardy.
1: It, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and I really, really got a laugh out of the whole Orange Cassidy bit where... Um, you know he goes up to the commentary table and is like how do I win this? Um, Jared's like you're calling the ladder pal. (laughs) And then leisurely makes his way into the ring only to absolutely struggle with how to set up a ladder and I know this seems like kind of ridiculous but I've seen people struggle to like set up a ladder before Um, and so I just I get a laugh out of this because most people would be like oh that's so ridiculous like it's a ladder like how hard could it be to set up and it's like Honestly, like it kind of is. Um, but I just oh my god, I get a good belly laugh when he quite literally stood in the middle of the ring and then just reached up like he was gonna be even close to being able to reach it. Uh again, inspired work. And He's um, gotta try. It was just really, really awesome that like for whatever reason, like Darby Allen's just like able to use his skateboard as a weapon without like getting disqualified. Well and uh, But even in instances where it's, like, not a ladder match, per se, like, he is chucking that thing around, and I have to say, like, that's gotta hurt. Like, that thing's got wheels on it. That has got to not feel good.
0: Let me sidebar you real quick. I've had that thing, when I skated, pop up into my shins, and it doesn't feel good, so. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I can't imagine, uh, right into my face. (laughs) And then just a side note on this match. So, I mean, of course, as we know, Brian Cage ends up winning, but he enters this match... (laughs) And I cannot believe not a single person said anything about this. What, but he enters with a full-on pink eye. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with pink eye, but basically <laughs> it's what happens when any sort of debris, um, most of the time like fecal matter, enters your you know, your, uh, your eyeball. Um, and then, of course, your eye reacts by trying to fight off any sort of infection by getting swollen and, you know, therefore pink. Um... And so it's very clear that this was not some sort of recovering black eye. Like, this was full-on pink eye, right? Very contagious. Like, and and being in very close contact in a ring like that, I am shocked that they let this man, in light of the pandemic, in light of having a fucking pink eye, just, like, full-fledged. Like, not only are you going to be in such close contact with so many people in this match, but you're going to win it, too. So, um... Yeah, so for all that, I have to say I gave this a three out of five just because overall the match was very decent. I mean, it wasn't the most riveting thing in the world, besides like Darby Allen like trying to kill himself like always. Um and then of course, you know, I got a good LOL out of the whole Orange Cassidy bit. But over like overall, like when you think of the of the match as a whole, it was just very kind of boring to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was anything we haven't seen before aside from the skateboard bit. Um, which like good God man, what are you doing? But thanks for entertaining me. I guess yeah. um, I actually really like the Luchasaurus Brian Cage moments. I mean, I would love to see that big man battle because Brian Cage is a really talented dude yeah. for the guy his size, and Luchasaurus we we talk about him in in great length and great admiration. Um, I thought every bit with Orange Cassidy was funny, whether it was coming down to the ring. Asking, how, asking everyone how to win the match, then attempting to win the match, then trying to choke slam fucking Luchasaurus, which, good luck, buddy. Yeah. And then Marco Stunt coming in, <laughs> wearing Crocs, mind you, uh, and yeah. helping Luchasaurus choke slam. I and mean, a but, sun hat, mind you.
1: Yeah. Like Crocs and a sun hat. Like and then, full on ready for a beach day. I
0: forgot to mention, uh, best friends came to the ring to help out Orange Cassidy for a second. And Chuck Taylor is, he had a match on the buy in, as I mentioned. He comes out wearing his tights, but no boots, no socks. He's just barefoot. It's just
1: an afterthought, you know?
0: <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So, I also love when the AEW guys come out, like, when they're not part of a match, and they're like, no, we're not going to have any sort of presentation. I'm just going to wear yeah, whatever, whatever I feel whatever, like wearing. Whatever
1: I was chilling in backstage, <laughs> that's what I'm going to come like, out in. Like, seeing
0: Luchasaurus and... in shorts at, like, Fight for the Fallen. Remember when they came out with a big check? Like, why? Yeah. But whatever. Besides <laughs> what the was point. That? Yeah, I also Anyways. gave it a three out of five. Um, we'll get to Brian Cage getting his title shot when we do All Out 2020. Um. But yeah, it was a it was an okay match. Nothing amazing. Um. Best parts were orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. Moving on to our second match, uh, we ta- we have Maxwell Jacob Friedman MJF with Wardlow taking on Jungle Boy. Apparently, this match came to be because MJF called Jungle Boy, uh, a. Uh, I don't want to say pretentious piece of shit, but essentially something along the lines of, like, you were handed everything to you, which is funny, because isn't that MJF's entire character? Right. But uh, it does kind of make sense. He makes a good point, because it is the Jungle Boy is the son of Luke Perry. But beside the point. Uh, We get a show-off of one-upsmanship as MJF and Jungle Boy trade reversals, handstands, submissions, until MJF suckers Jungle Boy into thinking he's injured. Jungle Boy begins to fight back with elbows and chops, topped off with a rolling axe handle, which was pretty cool. Uh, both men head outside and Jungle Boy hits two toe Tope, tope and an over the top rope senton. on. We then get a massive chop battle between both men as Jungle Boy cracks MJF with a super kick and then a destroyer which leads into a crossface. Uh, Jungle Boy absolutely murders MJF with a poison rana on the ring apron. Again, we I jokingly said, like, yeah, we're totally worried about CTE and wrestling when the back of this dude's head just hit the the ring apron. Uh, we get a Series of pin reversals in the ring, uh, ending with MJF just rolling Jungle Boy up with a European clutch and getting the three count. Uh, So Olivia, I want to know, what do you think?
1: Um, I mean notes on this match just because i felt like you know sometimes this is a good thing sometimes this is a really bad thing um in this case it was an okay thing i just felt as though like there was nothing that was absolutely riveting about this match of course it was like very technically precise i would say um and both had a good showing um i think that this was a really good solo match for jungle boy in particular to have um i think that he was able to like show a lot of his strengths as um you know a solo performer which is really nice to see because we don't get to see that a lot from him usually he is accompanied by you know Jurassic Express but as we know that they were in the previous match so um he gets to really have his sort of solo moment here which is really nice to see um and i think it's like really cool to kind of see these two uh very young competitors i know that the commentators talked about this a little bit um two very young dudes who are going to have very long and probably very illustrious careers, um, just kind of go at it and go head to head because um, you know we see MJF as like sort of this like big muscle head kind of guy, um, and Jungle Boy is more of just like you know this like not he's not tiny by any means, but he's definitely more lean. Um, you know, one of those re- the types of wrestlers that is of shorter stature. Um, So it's kind of cool to see them kind of clash and go head-to-head. I thought that their wrestling styles um, very much accompanied one another. Mm. Um, But then again, like, there wasn't... Other than that, like, sort of spot that was on, like the ring apron there was nothing that i was like oh my god i gotta write this down so overall that's my job (laughs) exactly (laughs) um i gave this a three out of five because it wasn't like the most crazy exciting match but it was just serviceable in both entertainment and talent i would say
0: yeah i gave it a three out of five as well um i thought it was a pretty fun match from two young dudes as you mentioned i believe jr mentioned at this time at least about a year ago jungle boy was 22 MJF was 24. I think they've obviously aged a year in that time. Yeah. and Jungle
1: Boy are the same age. Yeah, I mean, good lord, these dudes
0: are so young and so talented. Super young, yeah. Um, I do think, if you say like five years down the line, these two and like a main event picture, once they both just get a little bit better, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I do definitely think MJF and Jungle Boy will be men or banners. And I know you're thinking, oh, Jungle Boy main eventer? Yeah. Yeah, he
1: is. I mean, this is definitely not the last (laughs) match that we're going to see between these two, that's
0: for sure. I think this is kind of like back in, let's say, 1997-ish, when you see Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Rocky Maivia. You're like, that was decent! And then you see, you know, three or four years down the line, The Rock versus Triple H, and it's like, this is amazing. Exactly. I think it might be something like that. Absolutely. And then, in about ten years, we'll see Negative One, Brody Lee's son, feud with MJF, because they're already, for some reason, this 25-year-old man is feuding with a fucking ten-year-old. So, uh, that will also be fun to see, but... That's for that's for a podcast from 10 years down the road. Absolutely. Our third match is the inaugural TNT Championship match. Um, I like this belt, that they have a mid-card belt, but I hate the name of it because, oh, AEW's on TNT, so we need the TNT Championship.
1: Yeah, that was something that I like pondered for a second. I was like, how ridiculous would it be if um, WWE... And of course they have like... The United States Championship, which is not. You're going to say United the USA
0: of, Championship. Yeah, how
1: funny would it be if they had like the USA the, Championship? The like, Fox
0: Championship. Yeah, Smackdown. like what the
1: fuck? Like, <laughs> but how
0: anyway, weird would that be?
1: But anyways, regardless. Uh, yeah, so
0: they had a tournament. Um, Cody Rhodes and Lance Archer were the final two. So we have Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson taking on Lance Archer with Jake Roberts. Uh, Cody Rhodes does not have a major pretentious. Uh. Uh, entrance on this so that was nice to see he he just got right to the point yeah yeah uh so we don't have to compare him to triple h once uh lance comes out hits a blackout right off the bat uh but lol Cody cody rolls out of the wing so maybe he did have a little triple h moment and i realized i said wing instead of ring but (laughs) don't connect me uh both men head to the stands where archer then chokeslams cody back into the ringside over the apron archer who was six foot eight by the way. Walks the tight ropes, kind of like The Undertaker, and then lands a moonsault arm drag, which I could never see The Undertaker doing, so that's quite impressive. Cody mounts a small comeback, but gets launched over the ropes onto the floor. Cody then gets his ass beat for many more minutes, uh, somehow turning a beating into a crossface, and he uses Lance Lance's uh, hair extension as part of the crossface, which was pretty interesting. I mean, the dude has, like, a, a mohawk, and then it's, like, connected with this long... Whip tail, essentially. That's obviously not his real hair. I totally knew that without having to ask me that. <laughs> um, Archer then powers out of a out of a pin at a crossroads uh, and a singer splash. He demolishes Rhodes with a chokeslam. He's walking the ropes again. Arn Anderson knocks Archer off the ropes, leading to a random-ass referee coming out and saying, he knocked him off the ropes. So the referee uh, egg, uh makes Arn Anderson exit ringside, and then Jake Roberts for some reason, even though that makes no sense. Jake Roberts was just... There he was. He's like, doing I didn't anything. do
1: nothing but stand here and being geriatric. I exactly. don't know what my problem is.
0: Jake then comes back, he has a gigantic bag in his hand. Uh Mike Tyson, who I totally forgot to mention, is the uh <laughs> I don't know why I forgot to mention this the whole time. He's the one who's going to I can't
1: believe that's an afterthought.
0: I know, right? He's the one who's gonna prevent the championship to the winner. He stops Jake Roberts from getting in the ring, pulls off his shirt and flexes, uh, which distracts Lance Archer. Cody hits two crossroads. For the win. But before we get to the grades. I also need to mention. Since I totally fucking forgot Mike Tyson was part of this match. He's the first to enter. Right? Comes in with the championship. And just stands in the middle of the ramp. As Lance Archer enters. With some random dude. Like I don't know who this dude was. He chokeslams him. And then Mike Tyson just looks at him. And then Cody enters, and Mike Tyson is, like, trying to find out where to go, and you can see people pointing him where to go, such as Jake Roberts and the referee, and he still doesn't know where to go, and then finally he gets off the ramp as Cody makes his way into the ring. Anyway, Olivia, what do you think of the inaugural TNT Championship match?
1: So, regardless of um, the, your last comment about Mike Tyson, I think that you made this match sound way more interesting than it actually was, and let me tell you why. This match was a slow, uncoordinated, hot mess (laughs) of a match. Okay, because not... I just feel as though when you have to have so many quote-unquote interruptions within the match, which of course, you know, when you have people that assist you ringside, um, especially legends like, you know, Jake the Snake and Arn Anderson, like, of course you're going to have those sort of, like, little jabbed interruptions where... Um, one team tries to get one over on the other team, um, which that totally makes sense within the storyline, but in this, in this case, this match was just doomed from the start, and I just, (sighs) I gotta be honest with you, like, I didn't think that Lance looked very strong in this match, of course, you know, he had that one impressive moment where he walks on, you know, the top rope for a second. Um, and then I just felt as though, like, Cody didn't look very great in this, in this match, and I felt as though, like, I, I believe that this whole storyline was definitely meant to sort of push and promote Lance Archer as a performer in AEW, however, because Cody came out on top, and because the match proceeded in the way that it did, not only did it make a knit, well, of course we sort of overcome this later on in the year, um, it just, initially, like, made me very disinterested in, like, the TNT championship as a whole, that whole contendership, like, immediately I was checked out. I was like, I don't
0: give a fuck. Um... Well, c- can I about for a second? Yeah. Cody also goes in the pre-package for this, I can't go for the AEW world title anymore, which is just a dead giveaway. It's like, oh, he's gonna win the secondary Exactly, yeah.
1: Show. And he's like, I want it so bad. It's like, well, of course you're gonna give yourself, you know, the title. <laughs> and so not only do you, like, basically fake put over... Um, this, you know, he's not a new contender, I would say, because he's very familiar in the wrestling world. Um, but uh, He was in
0: WWE for six months under Vance Archer <laughs> back in the mid-2000s. Exactly,
1: but uh, this is definitely somebody that's newer on the AEW roster, so the fact that you not only had to, like, step on a couple of, like, your best performers in order to, you know, be in this sort of, you know, championship match, but then the fact that it was the inaugural match, and I think that all of the outer distractions of Mike Tyson, like not really knowing where to go, Um, sort of just like existing and, you know, soliciting or not soliciting, but loitering on the stage for just like a little bit too long, Um, just made it just kind of weird. And I just think that the quality of the wrestling within the match was just not there. Um, So for that, I gave it a 2.5 out of 5 because I hated it.
0: So there's a part in this match where the camera cuts to Mike Tyson. It cuts to him a few times, but the first time it cuts to him, he's sitting there with the title in his hand, and he yawns, and they immediately cut away. And that's how I felt about this match. This match was a big yawn. I like Cody Rhodes. I like Lance Archer. Sometimes, I mentioned this maybe a week or two ago, sometimes you just don't have chemistry with each other. And these two did not. There were some okay moments. I mentioned those, uh, but I did think this match was very exciting. I think it was a piss-poor way. To have the inaugural championship. To
1: introduce this new title, yeah. like so,
0: and it's an important title, not like the twenty four seven title where it's like, ah, it's a big joke. Yeah. Um. So I actually really, really, really hated this match, and I gave it a one out of five. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I I didn't uh, feel I don't feel as bad for my head. There was grid. weird I production issues generous. as
0: well. Kind of like fight for the fall and put it like Jake comes out with the bag and then all of a sudden Tyson takes off his shirt and he's scared. Like, dude, what?
1: What are you gonna do? Yeah. yeah like. So,
0: And, like, Mike Tyson, believe it or not, if you're not too familiar with wrestling, is, in a weird way, a legend in the wrestling business. He's Hall of Famer in the WWE. He's a member of TX. He was the enforcer of Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels of WrestleMania 14. So, it's just... I get bringing him in, but it's also just really strange. He, He wasn't the enforcer in this match. And, granted, Mike Tyson is not the Mike Tyson of old. But Mike Tyson can still get involved and probably knock someone the fuck out. So... Beside the point, this match sucked. I yeah. gave it a one on five. Moving on to our fourth match, and Olivia, holy shit, we have two women's matches on this card. Two!
1: Two! And yeah, that's asking a lot.
0: Yeah. So, uh, we have Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian taking on Chris Statlander. As Penelope Ford enters with Kip, he is completely bandaged up with crutches, selling the injuries from his ladder match, which I thought was, again, just kind of inspired work, because it's so ridiculous. Uh... Ford dodges a boop, as I'm going to call it. I don't know what... she, she Basically, or Chris Statlander goes for this thing where she clotheslines you and then boops you on the nose with her finger. So Penelope Ford dodges that as uh, Kip strikes Statlander by throwing alien slurs at her, saying she's a uh, freaky alien. He's seen all the alien movies. He knows exactly how to beat her, which I thought was pretty funny. And, like, uh, I don't know if you heard it, but it got a good giggle out of me. Uh, Statlander then absolutely murders Penelope Ford with an elbow that and then nearly murders herself with a Tope Suicida through the ropes onto both Penelope and Kip as she goes headfirst into the railing. Both women hit some uh, pretty good offense on each other, uh, and then she, uh, uh, Chris Dallier hits the Big Bang Theory and finishes off forward for the win. This match was pretty short, but Olivia, I gotta know, what do you think?
1: Well, this match wasn't horrible. I'm not gonna like critique it too much because it was a fairly decent match um, in terms of the AEW women's roster. Um, it definitely was probably the weaker of the two women's matches, and I did the quick calculation in my head, and even though we do get two women's matches on this card, they do only take up twenty five percent of the show. Technically, yeah. It sounds so, fine. um, and also, I think my biggest complaint about this match as well was that it was so short. I mean, it was nothing too thrilling, and I think that this match definitely um was sort of a launching point for Chris Statlander to look very strong and very impressive um over her other female counterparts. I just felt like it was cut so short. Like, give these girls some time. And I, you know, I did make a comment later on in my notes about the um. Later, women's match and I'm like wow Like I felt like this one actually got an adequate amount of time. I should not have to make that note. I literally should not have to say that because like anytime there's a men's match where it's like short I'm like oh like that's okay. I mean there's like 42 other men's matches on this card so it's not you know. it's Kind of like the next match. Yeah like exactly. (laughs) There's no sweat off anybody's backs if one of the men's matches is like fairly short. But the fact that you like have two women's matches and one of them lasts for like It was like an eight-minute match. Yeah, exactly. Very short, and I thought that this was like the first time, you know, like the first time we we talked about Chris Statlander, she was kind of shaky, a couple botches, she looked really strong in this match, and Penelope Ford, who I'm pretty sure we haven't covered in an actual match. No, she's
0: always been with, like, Exactly, she's always
1: been, like, an accompaniment to to ringside for for Kip Sabian, so this is the first time that we see her, um, you know, live in, in action in the ring. And was also very impressive. Also, kind of stood her ground. And so, I mean, I mean, I mean, you're cringing, but like, I just, I thought there wasn't any obvious botches, in my opinion. Um, and I thought that this was sort of a standout match for Chris Statlander. And I just wish it would lasted longer. So I gave this a three out of five because it's nothing too thrilling. But like I said, Statlander looked very athletic and she dominated the majority of the match, and it was just super short. So.
0: So. I agree with you on the Chris Statlander point. I thought she looked awesome here um, in the small time she was given. Um, I thought Kip Sabian was hilarious on the outside for his small things, like his alien jokes, him being wrapped in bandages was hilarious. And I don't think Penelope Ford's a bad wrestler, but I have the same critique for her that you have for Sasha Banks. And it's not the fact that she needs someone to carry her, because Chris Statlander is a very strong performer, but it's like she's always... You can always see her looking for the next move. And I noticed okay, that a lot yeah. with Penelope Ford here. It wasn't terrible. I can understand but that, But I yeah. saw her looking. And yeah. she needed Statlander to kind of boost her up in a way. Yeah. Um, I'm glad Chris Statlander got the, the win here. So I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Kind of just a middle-of-the-road match. There's a kind of a cruel irony with this match, however. It wasn't supposed to be Penelope Ford in the match. It was supposed to be Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. But uh, I think a week before this, she got injured, like, a pretty bad tear in her arm um, was supposed to be out for, like, six weeks or something like that. Uh, the ironic part is, I believe the dynamite after this, or maybe two dynamites after this, Chris Statlander goes, goes out with a pretty serious knee injury, and she's gone for a while. So it's, like, kind of ironic in a yeah, sort so of sick way. Yeah, so
1: then sequit. for, like, the latter half of the year, you literally have two of your biggest Women's contenders on your roster just out.
0: Yeah, it, I'd say two of my three favorite women on the roster. Yeah, um, and I think Chris Dattlander is still out too. It's almost been a year, so big bummer on that. But uh, yeah, this match was okay. It was fun. All right. So moving on to our fifth match. Um, this is Sean Spears taking on Dustin Rhodes with Brandy Rhodes. Um, so it's a little weird. So Sean Spears comes on. To Dynamite week in, week out, and says, I need to have a match with someone. Why am I not on this show? Uh, basically, Lance Archer beat the living crap out of Dustin Rhodes. That's how he got to Cody. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to challenge Dustin because he knows there's no way he's going to make it to the show. Yeah. So Sean Spears comes out in a suit. Yeah. And then Dustin's music plays. And then it's that old gag, <laughs> I played his music. Uh, and then he goes up to Aubrey Edwards and he's like, Ring the bell and make the count. And she goes, Dude, he's not even coming out. She like straight up gets in his face and goes, He's not even coming out. And Sean Spears was like, I'm tired of mediocre careers getting uh, the big names. And I'm like, dude, like I don't dislike Sean Spears or Ty Dillinger, but he's kind of the definition of a mediocre career. He's like, yeah. he's, you know, his whole feud with Cody, when Cody was like, he's a fine hand and he got all pissed off. But that's literally what it is. He's a fine hand to have, but who get, who's like, Sean Spears is my man. Anyway, besides Well, point, and it's
1: not like, you know, when you tell like pretty lay wrestling fans like, oh, Sean Spears, and they're not like, Oh, Sean Spears, they're like, who?
0: My favorite Shawn Spears moment, and he wasn't even known as Sean Spears or Ty Dillinger at the point, was the two thousand nine Cyber Sunday when Shawn Michaels super kicks a random dude in the in the uh, hallway and then starts going through the hallway and super kicking other people. Do you remember that? Yeah. If that guy was Ty Dillinger. <laughs> so anyway, um, as Aubrey starts to count Dustin's music plays again, and Sean Spears is like, oh no, the, I only said play it once. Brandy comes out, and then Dustin appears out of nowhere, just beats the ever-loving shit out of Sean Spears, literally strips him down to his underwear. We see his bare ass. On his underwear is a picture of his manager, totally Blanchard, for whatever reason. Whatever reason. And then uh, Dustin hits the final reckoning and wins the match. So, speaking of short matches, <laughs> Olivia, what did you think?
1: Um, This is literally the only thing I'm going to say. Again, I'm a little generous with this. I'm kind of regretting my my rating. This is why I feel like I should wait until after the entire show's over to kind of marinate everything that's happened, because I feel like at times I'm a little too generous. So I did give it a 2.5 out of 5. However, I rescind that that rating, and I'm going to give it like a 1.5 out of 5. Because this match was just such a wash that it might as well not even happened. I mean, of course, like... Dustin Rhodes got the win, but it's not like the match was designed to make anyone look that good. It
0: made Sean Spears look kind of bad.
1: Yeah, it was basically like some sort of weird short humiliation for Sean Spears, so.
0: Must be payback for literally draining Cody Rhodes.
1: Yeah, I don't know what he did, but like he was getting getting some karma back, so um, this was a weird one. I don't even, I feel like I can't even like really talk about anything that happened in the match because that's all that happened was that he came out, kind of beat the shit out of him, stripped him down to his underwear, and that
0: was basically it. Yeah. So, so I have a soft spot for comedy matches if they're done correctly, as we'll get to a little later. I think mean, uh, like this was
1: meant to be comedy, though. This is like humiliation. True. Much. Well, yeah, I mean,
0: they could kind of be the same thing at points, but I didn't think this was very funny. Aside from the Tolly Blanchard thing on Sean Spears's underwear, it's weird, but it also kind of made me laugh because I'm like, what the fuck is Tolly Blanchard like, doing? Why? That? I gave it a 1.5 out of 5. I thought Sean Spears sold the kind of egotistical thing at the beginning pretty well. Um, And then I always like seeing Dustin Rhodes win. So for that, I mean, I didn't give it like a complete. It was more entertaining than his brother's match earlier in the show. Okay. That should show you how bad Cody's match was earlier. Not saying much. (laughs) So anyway, we should move on. Uh, We actually get a Hana Kimura tribute. Um, She had actually killed herself, unfortunately the uh, day before this show, and a lot of people on the roster, Kenny Omega, Riho, Hakarashita, Ishida, um, were close with her, so that was, you know, kind of a nice tribute that they gave her. We talked about her on our 2020 Year in Review episode, um, and then they basically said cyber bullying's bad, the internet does more bad than good, which I'm like, wow, that's kind of, uh, I hate the word woke, but in a weird way, a woke statement for them yeah. to make, so rest in peace to her, of course, as well. We then get our sixth match, the AEW Women's World Championship match. Our champion Nyla Rose taking on Akura Shida. Uh, This match, Shida was the number one contender for like 13 weeks, which makes me wonder why she didn't get a championship match weeks ago. Before this, yeah. Whatever, we're here now. Um, Shida gets her ass absolutely whooped with Kendo... Oh, I'm sorry, I meant to mention, it's a no disqualification match as well. So Shida gets her ass completely whooped with a Kendo stick early. On the outside, Nyla tosses Shida through the poker table that's just sitting there with all the uh the chips lying around and Jared goes oh she's all out and i was thinking in my brain no that's next that's you know a couple months away right. all out but i get he was going with uh Shida reverses a beast bomb into a picture-perfect Hurakarana. uh back into the ring uh actually sorry back into the crowd Sheeta hits a running knee off of a uh standing poker chip into nyla rose who's standing against another poker chip we saw the Poker Chips at Devil or Nothing 2019 when uh, John Moxley completely murdered Kenny Omega off of those. Uh, Nyla then hangs Sheeta up on the rope and hits her patented knee, which I really love that move. I'm starting to like it a lot more because she's such a, like a a big, powerful woman that you know that knee is just like really devastating to her opponent. Uh, Sheeta then eats a powerbomb through a table, but Nyla only gets two count. Sheeta nearly wins the match with a uh, Avalanche Falco arrow, which was fucking executed beautifully off the top rope. We then get a uh, a near fall um, from Nyla Rose, but then she is brained in the face with a Kendo stick, eats a running knee, and we have a new champion, Hiroshita, who is almost champion for a year now. i mean, she's pretty close to three hundred days, so that's pretty exciting. And we get the we get the you know the era of Hiroshita as champion. But Olivia, what did you think of this match? Um.
1: So this was a pretty. I mean, I was very satisfied with this match and only because um we got more than one women's match in the card but this one actually meant something it was actually significant so um I think the most exciting thing about this match was um you know kind of twofold so it was not only the fact that Nyla Rose was champion for so many days which I definitely you know commend them for um having her be champ women's champion for such a long time I think that's that's really cool not only because you know she represents the transgender community but she also represents the Native American community and the black um, community and the black community so I mean you're kind of hitting you know you're checking some boxes there which is like really cool because you don't normally see that kind of representation especially in sort of the championship realm um in wrestling so that's awesome and then of course you know you have another woman who is not only a very strong contender coming in to um you know challenge for it Um, but it was sort of this really long build-up, as you said, it was, like, 13 weeks, so, um, this was supposed to be sort of this very explosive, like, head-to-head, which, um, we sort of do get that, and, you know, like, while I did, while we were watching it, I made that sort of comment where there's, like, this sort of clash of styles, um, you know, not any reference to AJ Styles, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't,
0: they don't want to. You get them. this
1: sort of mashup of different types of wrestling styles, which can work in some cases, and I think in this particular match that it did. Um, and I thought that both of these women looked really strong. Um, I think that even though Sheeta got, you know, got away with the win, um, that both women, look, both women looked amazing. Uh, so I gave this uh, a 3.5 out of 5. I thought it was definitely one of the stronger matches in the card. And I think, and like I said, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but I think this is one of the sole times. But i could probably count you know on less than five fingers the, the amount of times that aw is given a woman's match the appropriate amount of time so of course i was pretty jazzed about that
0: uh, i thought this match was awesome um this is to this time the best women's match that i believe i've seen in Oh for sure um and it was for the championship which was big and nyla rose looked awesome she's a freaking badass like Rashida is awesome she's a badass and of course like I said she's been champion ever since so I gave this a four out of five I thought it was very fun I thought the hardcore elements worked well they did not um overstay their welcome yeah there was kendo stick shots they used a little bit of weapons on the outside some tables but it wasn't like here's some trash can lids and then all of a sudden like we're bringing out wrenches for no reason yeah so they very they subdued a little bit so four out of five for me on this women's match Moving on to our semi-main event, or is what the, uh, oh, Ry- Rylo's interjecting here. He's just like, not semi-main event. <laughs> um, moving on to our semi-main event, the AEW World Championship match with champion John Moxley taking on Mr. Brody Lee, the exalted one of the Dark Order, with members of the Dark Order. He came out with uh, 10, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds. Um, I thought it was kind of weird that the Dark Order came on to the scene in AEW, and it was Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. Yeah, they were nowhere to be found with Brody Lee, which I thought they were the first two. Shouldn't they be kind of his first two minions? Um, but
1: I mean, I wouldn't say so, because I think that, like, although, like, he was, like, the leader, like, you could say that, like, they were a little bit above being, you know, sort of little his minions. Lackeys, yeah, yeah, exactly. And
0: now John Silver is, like, the most beloved dude in the Dark Order, yeah. ironically. So. But beside the point, we'll get to more Dark Order stuff later. Uh, so this is actually really cool, because... They talk about knowing each other on the indies for the promos, and then they say they were, uh, they had other battles in other companies, and I didn't think about it, but there was that whole feud with the Shield versus the Wyatt family back in 2014 mm-hmm. that had, I'm going to throw this out there, one of my favorite Elimination Chamber matches of all time, and of course... You know, you have Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Eric Rowan, who are all talented, but the war courses in that match, if I remember, the ones who were beating the absolute shit out of each other were Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper. So it's kind of really cool to see them in a championship match. Yeah,
1: sort of revive this, you know, contendership between the two.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that was was really fun. Man, Brody Lee went way too soon. Anyway, let's start the match. Moxley gets caught right away um, and eats chops and fists from Brody Lee, Uh, Brody's... Big ass hits a tope suicida, to which I did not see coming, and then tosses Moxley into the barricade. Moxley evades Lee off of uh, getting thrown off the steps, but then he drops him savagely through another poker table, because apparently these are just fucking lying around everywhere. <laughs> uh, there are some giant playing cards sitting by the stage at ringside. Uh, they come into play as Rhoda Lee tosses uh, Moxley into them and then DDTs him on them. The men make it to the stage, and both men use the fiberglass poker chips as weapons. On the stage, Moxley hits a paradigm shift, and both men just go completely through the stage. A bunch of people come out to save them. Jerry Lynn makes another appearance, which is cool. Again, we're talking about Jerry Lynn twice on an AEW show instead of, like, ECW. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, as Moxley gets pulled out, pulling out first. As Brody Lee gets pulled out, he's just covered in blood. Love to see some blood in the championship match. Uh, both men get back in the ring. Moxley dodges a lariat into a paradigm shift, but Brody kicks out literally at one. Uh, starts to hook up a little bit, but Moxley clutches him into a chokehold and retains due to technical knockout. So yeah. that was kind of surprising. Technically, Brody Lee lost, but he didn't pin or he didn't submit. So, Olivia, what do you think of the world title match?
1: Um, I think that this was a perfect match between these two. Um, from the moment it started to the way that it ended, um, I have to I have to say that uh, these two were absolutely on a mission to just completely destroy not only the set but each other as well. Um, I just think that this was, and of course, you know, in the previous match we do see um, Nyla Rose absolutely fucking obliterate Sheeta through a poker table, but um, the, like I said, these two men were on a, an absolute mission to just destroy everything around them, which um, rightfully so, I guess, because they're technically the last match that, um, on this pay-per-view that occurs in Daly's place. Um, however, I just feel like, I feel sorry for the cleanup crew. Regardless, though, I mean, these two have an all-out brutal match and I thought the way that it ended was like really interesting, you know? Um, and so it's unfortunate that uh, later on in the year uh, we would see, uh, you know, the death of Brody Lee and I, you know, had to make a note of it just not to, again, not to beat a dead horse, but it was just really strange to, you know, all, out of all the years that I've seen him wrestle, the first time that we're covering him on this podcast is to, you know, in a match particularly, um, is after his death, so it's pretty unfortunate, but uh, I think that this, again, this match is such a perfect example of very talented, very professional, and also very passionate wrestlers who didn't quite get the chance um, to express all of that in their former employment, uh, but really get to show out uh, in, in, in AEW and yeah. get that second chance, so that was really cool to see. So, uh, I gave this a 4 out of 5 because I thought this was just a great, really intense match between these two, and I had to make the joke that they literally brought the house down as they destroyed the set as well as one another.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, it might be a little bit of rose-tinted glasses, but Brody Lee was a very good wrestler yeah. and very underutilized in a certain company. I wouldn't say Moxley was underutilized because he was a world champion, he was in the main event scene a lot, but he really gets to show more here as well, and I think these two together... They're really good friends, and they really brought it. Like you said, they brought the house down. Um, it is, like you said, just really strange to see, but I think um, Amanda Huber, Brody's wife, um, his son, uh, and his other kids can watch this match and be you know really proud of their dad yeah. and, I think, and their husband, of course, and just be really happy with... He was only in AEW for like seven months, eight months, but re- really happy with the work he did, especially getting thrown into the main event right away and having this... Banger of a match with Moxley. It was yeah. a lot of fun. It wasn't perfect. It was a little ugly at times, but what do you expect from these two? I mean, they're both ugly individuals anyway, so they're gonna put on an ugly, brawling, violent match. So I gave it a four out of five yeah. as well.
1: I love that you mentioned um, about his family and how they'll able to be able to like go back and watch this stuff, um, because I mean, you know, as we all know, I'm a huge fan of to- Total Divas, and weirdly enough, um, one of the most recent seasons of Total Divas does cover. Um, you know, somebody, a few people actually that we were talking about earlier, um, you know, Natty Neidhart, for example, um, a lot of that footage on that show, like, a lot of these segments that they showed specifically of her was her interacting with her family, and it actually weirdly, in a way, like, went really into depth about, like, her relationship, like, with her dad and her mom, and their whole situation, and she put it so perfectly um, on the episode that they, you know, sort of tribute to him, and uh, the episode where they talk about Jim Neinhart passing, that um, she said, you know, it's really unfortunate that my dad passed so soon, but it's so cool to be able to have all of this footage of us mm-hmm. together and of, of him, you know, not only, you know, in his own element, but, like, with his family. And I think that the same can be said about Bertie Lee, where, you know, his family can go back, and there's, like, literally, like, hours and hours of him, you know, in the ring doing something that he loved very much. Mm-hmm. and. Um, You know, not everybody gets that opportunity, so I think that's like you know, sort of a bittersweet thing. But it's better; it's really better than nothing. It's almost like their you know presence can live on even after they've died.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he has lived on in AEW so well, and I think that's, I think that's really beautiful for Um, for a dude who was not there very long. And granted, AEW's only been around two years. Yeah. But he made such a huge impact. So moving on to our main event, this is the somewhat cinematic match. These, oh, actually, we're moving from Daly's Place, by the way, yeah. to, I had to look this up, the TIA, TIAA Bankfield, also in Jacksonville, where the Jacksonville Jaguars play. Because guess what? Tony Khan's dad owns the Jaguars. So, and we live in Champaign, Illinois, where they're both from, so that's yeah. fun. So this match is the Inner Circle, Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara, Santana Ortiz taking on members of the Elite... Kenny Omega, Adam Page, Matt and Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks, and then with them is Broken Matt Hardy, who made his debut about a month before this. Unfortunately, he had to make it in front of no one. Um, He brought Vanguard, his drone, which was hilarious. Um, And then this whole match just started because it was kind of a blood feud between all these people. Of course, um, a lot of them had feuds in WWE, Chris Jericho's had feuds with all the elite in New Japan and AEW. So they decided to have this stadium stampede match, and I know what you're thinking, What is the stadium stampede match? And I'm going to be honest, I don't quite know. But essentially, they're at the field where the Jaguars play. At the 50-yard line, there's a wrestling ring, and they have the entire stadium to themselves. So the inner circle comes out to Chris Jericho's badass song, Judas. They're all dressed in football gear with pads, which was just fantastic. By the way, I'm not going to go beat by beat in this match because... It's going to be impossible. I'm just going to hit the really big notes, and I want you to interject at any point, okay? Um, So Kenny Omega comes out, Adam Page comes out, the Young Bucks come out, but Adam Page is nowhere to be found, and then they're all on different sides of the field. They run at it. Football fields are massive. Huge. Massive. And they run at each other and fight. So it's four on five for a little bit. Sammy Guevara then looks over, and uh, yo and behold, Adam Page arrives on a fucking horse. And Sammy Guevara... Outruns Adam Page on a horse mm-hmm. which I know he's fast and I know he's young and in good shape but the he horse had out- was at
1: full galloping <laughs> speed
0: he outruns his horse into the locker room area which was just amazing and Adam Page just follows him we cut to other spots uh, Jericho launches Nick Jackson like darts him into the goal post not to be outdone Matt Jackson grabs a ladder climbs the goal post and does a moonsault onto some people that's fun uh, there's a lot of fighting on the terrace Mostly this is between Matt Hardy and Kenny Omega, and Santana and Ortiz. Now, some of these are pretty fantastic, such as uh, Santana and Ortiz standing on some unstable bar tables, and then power bombing Kenny Omega through another table, and you can definitely see one member of Santana and Ortiz fall off that bar table, because it's not very sturdy. They then, there's apparently a pool at TIAA Field. Uh, They start to drown Matt Hardy, And this is funny because... This is, like, the best It it is the Pool of Regeneration, which he's used in the broken Matt Hardy compounds before. So they drown him, and he comes out, and he's Hardy Boy's Matt Hardy. And then, like, they start to drown him again, and there's a camera under the water, and he's doing, like, the Hardy Boy signal, and then he pops back out, and he's version one Matt Hardy, which is my favorite Matt Hardy. And, like, these stats appear on the side, which were supposed to be, like, the Mattitude stats. And Santana Ortiz break the fourth wall, and they notice the stats... And then he's doing the V1 thing. And then they drown him again. And he pops back out. And then he's broken Matt Hardy again. They continue to fight a little bit longer. We then cut to Adam Page, who is kind of walking around uh, on the horse. He gets off the horse. He gets to a bar, which Jake Hager also gets at. They share a drink together. And then they start to fight in the bar. Uh, Adam Page gets, like, rock-bottomed onto a pool table, which had to have been painful. (laughs) There's also... uh, Kenny Omega shows up, and they double-team Jake Hager. They start to break, like, six glasses, like, bottles over this dude's head. And then Kenny Omega hits a V-trigger. He gets on his back. There's a Buckshot Lariat. Jake Hager is out for the rest of the match. He's behind the bar. We then cut to the field again. So at this point, it's the Young Bucks taking on Sammy Guevara, who has returned, and Chris Jericho. (sighs) Lord. Okay. So how do I even do this, basically? Chris Jericho and Nick Jackson are fighting. They're super kicked involved. Nick Jackson gets thrown into, like, an inflatable Jaguar, and then Jackson DeWitt, I think is the name, of the Jacksonville Jaguars mascot, for no reason starts to dance in front of Chris Jericho and then just gets Judas affected. So Chris Jericho hates fucking mascots for some reason. While all this is going on, and I'm not kidding, this is intercut, so it's, like, Matt Jackson versus Sammy Guevara, Chris Jericho versus Nick Jackson... At one goal post, Matt Jackson starts to do his, like, triple Northern Flight suplexes. Then it cuts to Jericho and Nick Jackson. And when it cuts back to Matt Jackson, he's still doing the suplexes on, like, the 50-yard <laughs> line. And then it keeps cutting. So what they're telling you, basically, is he went from one goalpost to TV another ever. goal post. Just completely Northern Lights suplexing Sammy Guevara. Just ridiculous. He starts to do a dance, like a, you know, a goal celebration. And he starts to act like Alex Wright, who was an old WCW wrestler who was known for dancing, and he gets a yellow card, and that made that was ridiculous. Jericho also gets really upset because Ref Aubrey says that he was using unfair moves, so he's like, "I want to challenge the play," and then they go into I like a see booth. yeah, they go into the booth, and she goes, "Get out of here! You're not a referee," and then like Chris Jericho's like, "You're a shitty referee," and it was just like really funny interplay between this these two great 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 characters. Ah, okay. What more was there? Sorry. Um, They place Chris Jericho on a table. Nick Jackson climbs the steps, starts to run up the steps, then runs completely down the steps, clears this fucking barricade, and jumps about 10 feet and smashes Jericho through the table. Now, Sammy Guevara has been knocked out. The sprinklers turn on. They wake him up. He thinks he's won. And he looks around and... He hears a buzz, and he had been hit by a golf cart by Matt Hardy sometime on Dynamite, and he hears the buzz of the golf cart as Matt Hardy is just barreling towards him on this gigantic golf cart. He He can apparently not only outrun a horse, he can outrun a golf cart.
1: And not only that, but <laughs> scale, like, an 8-foot wall. Yeah,
0: which was impressive for a dude his size. Yeah. Um, he then gets beat up by Matt Hardy, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and he eats... The biggest fucking one-wing angel I've ever seen in my life. This was probably a 15-foot drop off yeah. of this terrace. Obviously, it was padded. Still terrifying. From, Ken-
1: like, the front row seats to- down onto the field, basically. Yeah,
0: through a terrace. It was great stuff. Uh, Kenny Omega, of course, gets the pin because you can't kick out of the one-wing angel. And the Elite and Matt Hardy win to close out the show. So, Livia, I-, I am dying to know what you thought of the stadium stampede match.
1: Okay, I had a combination of sort of, like, what the fuck am I watching in, like, a perplexed way, but also, like, what the fuck am I watching in such an entertained way? I love it when (laughs) wrestling can make me, like, literally say that. And so I'm just gonna go through, like, a couple of uh, moments that I just thought were just absolutely amazing. Of course, uh, Hangman Page coming in on the horse... Made me laugh so hard. Because of
0: course he did. Of
1: course he did. (laughs) Why wouldn't he? Um, And has his full-on Red Dead Redemption moment, which I thought was hilarious. Um, I loved uh, Santana and Ortiz repeatedly dunking Matt Hardy into the pool. I thought not only was that, like, editing geniusness, but also, like, whoever thought of that, like, to, like... I mean, it had to have been Matt Hardy. Yeah,
0: of course it was Matt Hardy. He...
1: I guarantee you they were showing him around like giving them potential spots to, like, have, um, you know, sort of all these shots of the match, you know, collectively put together. And Matt Hardy was like, I'm going in the pool. Uh, so love <laughs> that. That's
0: awesome.
1: <laughs> um, and, of course, the ending where Kenny hits that crazy one-winged angel, I thought that that was just absolutely amazing, super entertaining, um, and was kind of the perfect way to end this hoot in a holler. It was a goof, it was a gaff, it was a laugh. How else do you describe this? So for that, uh, I'm going to give this a 4 out of 5 just for pure entertainment.
0: Okay. Um, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. All right. This, if it was not for like, say, the first five minutes where they were all kind of on the field punching and doing nothing, this probably could have been a 5. Because I don't know. I cannot pick a favorite moment. Whether it was the horse (laughs) and this kid somehow outrunning the horse. (laughs) They're not running a golf cart. Whether it was the sprinkler spot, the fucking Jaguar mascot. The, the
1: line marker spot. The li-
0: oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention. <laughs> so Adam Page comes out with a line marker and just walks it over Chris Jericho. He's like drunk, of course. Yeah. The bar spot was fun. The pool spot was hilarious. The Northern Lights suplex through the entire field. Who thinks of this shit? Yeah. And then you have to think like...
1: only Only this group of men. Yeah.
0: Like Chris Jericho, genius k Omega, genius, Young Bucks, genius. I'm sure everyone had a hand in all of this stuff and they were like, I want to do this. And everyone's like, totally. And it worked completely. All 10 men of these, all of these 10 men, plus Aubrey Edwards, mind you, were just so great in this match. And if it was not for that like five minutes of just random brawling, it could have been a perfect match to me. Um, this was just hilarious. It was awesome. I have to ask though, the pool spot was your favorite spot?
1: I mean, I really can't pick between, like, that and, like, just, like, the horse moment where, like, it just, ran. like, you're like, oh, where's Adam Page? And then all of a sudden the camera cuts and it's like he's on a fucking horse. Because of
0: course he is, Of yeah. course he the is. The horse was my favorite spot. Yeah. Just like... And the
1: fact and the fact that he, like, stuck to that for, like, a hot minute, yeah. too, like, he chases Sammy Guevara, uh, you know basically out of the field and then you, you forget know? about him and for then a you forget about it. and then it, he like shows up again just like hey still chilling on my horse and then he finally gets off the horse and has the audacity to tell the horse who probably for the most part can't understand English stay. like stay here <laughs> like I'll be back I've
0: got to go get a drink <laughs> yeah.
1: Like,
0: what the fuck? Oh, also, another comedy spot, after they take out Jake Hager, (laughs) Adam Cole, or Adam Page, sorry, gets behind the bar, pulls out whiskey for himself, and milk for Kenny Omega, because Kenny Omega doesn't drink, and then they share a shot. Hilarious. Hilarious. Like, only things that these guys who are so in tune with each other. Oh, for sure. Can think of. So, Olivia, as always, I've got to ask, what is your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade for AEW's Double or Nothing 2020? All
1: right, so my match of the night, I think it's pretty obvious gotta go to the stadium. stadium. Oh, thank
0: God. I did not think you were gonna pick it. This is
1: absolute entertainment gold. Like, what a way to end a pay-per-view. I think it is such creative utilization of, you know, what the two owners of AEW can really offer um, us in terms of, like, venue entertainment. I think it's super different. Um, I think that this was, like, a really sort of, you know really mashup, really, of sort of, like, a wrestling match and then also, like, a cinematic match. Um, it was almost like, you know, basically like a hardcore match on steroids and in the best <laughs> way possible. Uh, and so for that, I just, I had so many moments where I just had to laugh and I think that it's such a nice break from the seriousness of sort of in-ring matches. So for that, it's going to go to the Stadium Stampede. My performer of the night has to go to Sammy Guevara for his sheer athleticism. This They made this man run up and down that football field so many times. Like, that poor boy. Like, he, he... I mean he outran himself he turned he, into Forrest gum he outran and ran. a
0: horse yeah
1: a horse
0: sure i'm sure there was editing involved oh some for point, sure but, but like way- still yeah. there
1: was like a long pan shot of him just running so um yeah so for my final rating for the show it's gonna be a 3.5 out of 5 i thought the last two matches were absolutely amazing and they're you know two completely separate um and own ways uh, but the beginning of the show was a little weak, so for that it kind of drags down the score. But the ending of it, I, it, this show fully redeemed itself, for sure.
0: Alright, um, I'm also giving it to the Stadium Stampede. I said that at the beginning, and I told you all the reasons why, so I'm just going to move on. But I am so happy you picked Sammy Guevara for Performer of the Night, because that's who I picked as well. Awesome! Justin, he had the best moments in this oh, match. Oh, for sure! And a series of best moments, and that kid worked his ass off. He's a very good wrestler, so... I agree. Um, I'm excited to see kind of where he goes further down the line uh as always I pick an attire of the night and surprisingly I'm going to give it to one that might shock you it's going to Jimmy Havoc's white suit with the blood okay, splatters all yeah. over it that was pretty cool and I don't think we'll be seeing Jimmy Havoc again so Ever, yeah hey you're so. winning attire of the night buddy uh my final grade yeah, is going to be goal. the same as yours 3.5 out of 5 and for the exact reasons I mean the ladder match was fine uh the mid card matches ranked from either okay to like terrible but I thought the last three matches, the women's title match, the heavyweight title match, and then the stadium stampede were just so much fun, and it's a very strong ending to a weaker show, I'd yeah. say. You wasted my time with, like, Sean Spears and Dustin, but I kind of had a little bit of fun with it. The other women's match was okay. Enough about Cody and, and uh, who did even wrestle? Van- Lance Archer. But, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty fun show, and it was mostly because those last three matches. And I'm so glad that they, like you said, gave the women, sure, the first match was a little shorter, but they gave the title match, the most important one, like a really good amount of time. And that's very good, very healthy. Unfortunately, I don't think that happens a couple shows down the road. But, hey, we'll see that in a couple weeks. But next week... Olivia, we will be watching a WWE pay-per-view because Fastlane airs on Peacock.
1: (gasps) On Peacock, the first time we're switching streaming services. I know. I'm kind of nervous, I'm not going to lie.
0: Me too. We're going to see how it goes, so hopefully it goes off just as smoothly as the WWE Network, but we'll see. I'm just
1: prefacing this now. If we don't upload an episode... Right away. Right away. It's probably because this launch went off. As a hot
0: mess Yeah. So. And I believe the network's actually launching today's the 14th, so in two yeah, days in two on days, Peacock. days,
1: I'm nervous.
0: So we'll see, but we'll so be yeah. back next week with Fastlane 2021. Bridal says goodbye, but Olivia, do you want to take us home?
1: Absolutely. Please go follow us on Instagram at That's Got to Be Wrestling. Uh, That is our pay-per-view, or not pay-per-view, excuse me. What am I even saying? That is our podcast hub where we upload um, some really bad memes, some really good memes, all memes in between, and also updating you guys as to when we go live, when we um, upload um, our non-weekly show, so our Life Of series, um, that we will be uploading another episode very shortly. Yeah, Uh, we're doing that on uh thursday so hopefully i mean
0: mean the wrestler we're doing oh
1: (laughs) i don't know why i i I think you say second
0: time you've done that (laughs) i know
1: i'm just deaf but anyways uh definitely go check us out on spotify apple Podcasts, any preferred podcast platform but particularly spotify and apple Podcasts. if you go ahead and give us a follow on there and also review on apple Podcasts, that helps us out tremendously and as always, Tommy, thank you so much for talking about wrestling with me. Of
0: course, thank you. And she didn't answer the question, so we're doing it on China. Yeah. Uh, Joni Laura. But yes, thank you for talking wrestling with me. This was a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited to see Fastlane, mostly because I just kind of want to see where the road to WrestleMania goes at this yeah, point. Yeah, let's see but what happens. I know we try not to talk about WWE stuff too much on AEW shows, but holy shit, Barbie Lashley's WWE champion. Yeah, this so, is weird. Yeah. What
1: weird world we live and in And we right
0: used now. to absolutely like, hate watching his matches, and now I'm like, I kind of want to see what he does. Yeah. So, we'll see what happens next week on Fastlane. Stay tuned for that, of course, everyone, and have a good night.